Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanokas. It was qualifying day at the 2020 Belgian Grand Prix today and Mercedes roared to another 1-2 on the grid with Lewis Hamilton supreme in front of his teammate Valtteri Bottas. Behind the top two, as ever really in 2020, came Red Bull's Max Verstappen who was frustrated to run out of energy on the run to the line as he came within a whisker of beating Bottas to second on the grid. Elsewhere, Renault impressed with two cars in the top six, with Daniel Ricciardo and Esteban Ocon finishing either side of Alex Albon and the other Red Bull in fifth, but Albon was nevertheless pleased to find his car behaving more predictably. The other big talking point of the day was Ferrari, which endured further misery at Spa, where it so famously won from pole with Charles Leclerc a year ago, as both Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel were knocked out in Q2. Joining me to discuss all of that is Motorsport.com's F1 editor, Jonathan Noble. Now, John, we've decamped back to our rural farmhouse in Jalais, which is a short drive from the track where the garden backs out onto a, a large field full of some cows. And that's where I want to start, weirdly enough, because you started the day using them as a weather forecast. So uh, how did that go for you? Today was going to be uh, totally clear. I looked at the weather forecast. It said this morning, um, no rain predicted. Uh, and when I came down for breakfast, I looked at our back garden at the cows they're all sat down which i thought that's interesting took a picture for a laugh and then of course in um p3 this morning five minutes in the rain arrived so i'm going to be intrigued to see what those cows are doing tomorrow morning absolutely particularly because it was a very 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 light spattering of rain in fp3 but nevertheless it did have an impact because actually made it for quite a boring session because uh, hardly any hardly any laps went in and there were good chunks of uh, no action on the track also interesting to know uh, a reason behind that is the track was pretty green because there was an almighty sort of thunder and lightning storm uh, about half past six on friday night during the porsche super cup uh, practice session which basically washed out all the rubber that had been laid down in practice but there we go nevertheless they didn't stop lewis hamilton today uh the slightly fresher conditions at spa 
He blitzed his way twice to two track records, uh, opted to go without a toe, just didn't want to get anybody, have anybody in his way, have the risk of it going wrong. Okay, he said, yeah, there was a slight benefit to getting a toe, but ultimately just not worth the hassle, really. But he was just, he was just supreme. And I think what was really just tremendous, and there's, there's a couple of videos doing the rounds on social media, is just how easy it looked in that car. Like, it's just, he... But the, the performance from Hamilton and the performance of the car were just so in line and just pretty pretty close to perfect. So what did you make of uh, of that today, John? Yeah, he's just on it, isn't he? Um, you know, everyone's finding this phase of the championship, but this is normally after you've had 12, ra- 12 races that this is where he, he picks things up and really uh, kind of accelerates his season and nails it. But we haven't had that many races. This is only race seven, so it's still relatively early in the season. But... He's at one with this car. And I think the, the fact he had the choice on what to do with the toe today was quite interesting because he could have opted for the toe. Um, there is a benefit to getting your teammate to give you a toe here because um, it allows you to time it right. So you need to make sure you get that towing sector one and then not lose too much in sector two. Uh, and then you can obviously regain it in the in the final sector. But I think he said he's studied it. He's obviously looked at the, the, the benefits and the pros and the cons. And I think it was enough belief in himself enough faith in the car and he just felt better to get his head down concentrate on his job uh, and he did it sublimely it's interesting noting that when it comes to the discussion about the toe it's quite a it's quite a classic spa problem because of the nature of the track in that you've got the very very slippery fast sections in sector one and sector three but sector two you really need more downforce because there's some really quite significant corners you think poo on absolutely fantastic turn of speed particularly the way the mercedes were going through that today and it's interesting you know i sort of thought about this ahead of the press conference we were up in the in the commentary booths overlooking the the pit straight because as is as is as is now becoming normal in 2020 we're having to do everything via zoom you can't be in the media center on a zoom call or there'll be lots of feedback and it'll ruin it for everybody uh, but i was just sat up there you know waiting for it all to kick off and it just struck me that with the reduction in downforce levels for 2021 and then obviously the massive reduction in downforce levels for 2022 this could be as close to as fast and as dominant in terms of the downforce stakes as we're going to see certainly for for a fair while because that is what formula one engineers are all about they they will just try and reclaim every little bit of downforce that they can within the rules but it's going to be it's going to be different now so we are sort of we're reaching a level that you know a sort of a maximum peak when it comes to these current cars i think that is what everyone kind of in a way hoped for when it was sort of described as like these are going to be the fastest ever cars you know what had the impact on the racing that has you know notwithstanding but just in terms of the spectacle of watching them in qualifying so yeah it was just uh it was it was just quite a quite a, a poignant session really when you think about it because of that there's also quite a philosophical debate you can have around that that um you know everyone raves about rouge and you watch it on tv it looks spectacular if you go and watch the cars through there they're spectacular if you go and run it, it hurts a lot, but it's a spectacular climb up. But for the drivers, you know, they can almost do it blindfolded in effect because it's easy flat. Um, you know, first lap out the pits, they're flat. So it's not really a challenge to it. And I think a lot of the modern Formula 1 corners have become so flat, they're effectively straights. And, you know, you what you want is corners like Eau Rouge, corners like Blanchimon, corners like Puan, not to be easy flat. You want them to be just flat if the driver's feeling the bravest of the brave on the most perfect qualifying lap with the car perfectly set up uh, so that makes a real difference in the skill because the fewer corners that are easy flat um, the more differentiation you get between drivers and I think that's what we really really want in Formula 1 
Absolutely, but there was a there was a difference between the Mercedes drivers today. Quite a big chunk in the end between Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas. So he sort of he didn't seem too unfazed by not getting pole position. I wonder if he just thought, well, Hamilton out of reach today. I'm going to nail it at the start tomorrow and see where that's going. But he just he just never really seemed to get it going in qualifying. There were sort of mistakes in in his first run in Q3, and then he said he felt he was on the limit when it came to his final run in Q3. But but obviously still ends up farewell adrift. We already sort of said this ahead of the ahead of the weekend. Bottas really, really needs to win here if the title fight is going to be interesting because you say, John, this is the point of the year sort of in terms of the calendar year where Hamilton normally normally roars clear. Um, yeah, are you sort of, are you surprised that he wasn't more down in terms of qualifying or do you think he's just like, okay, drop that one off. Let's hit back tomorrow. Spa's unique. It's a bit like, um, I don't know if everyone watches the Macau Grand Prix, but Macau has an awfully long run down to turn one with a long toe and actually the, um, best place to start there is second place because you get the toe off the leader and you launch past them into Lisboa and I know drivers in the past have qualified on pole there and have actually deliberately got away slowly to get themselves in the toe so they're in the right position for Lisboa and it's the same here at Spa basically you want to be second coming out of La Source uh, if you come second out of La Source you've got an awfully good chance of getting that slipstream up through Eau Rouge and down that straight to Le Com and then you can kind of launch yourself through and take the lead. So that's what that's ultimately Valtteri's um, belief tonight, and maybe even a bit of self-justification. That I mean, I'm sure he wanted pole position. As, as a driver, you never don't want pole, and you can even on pole you can engineer a scenario where you're in the right place coming out of La Source. But um, I think it's the one track on the calendar where it doesn't ultimately matter if you start first or second. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to how the pair of them sort sort themselves out into Lake Com tomorrow. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, what's been an interesting feature of the first laps at recent races in Spa, you'd say, is the performance of the Ferrari team. Obviously, last year, uh, Charles Leclerc roaring away from pole position. But you think back to other races in the last couple of years where it's been the Ferrari cars powering by the Mercedes and other cars that have been starting ahead. That will not happen tomorrow. Let's face it. Uh, both Ferraris knocked out in Q2. Charles Leclerc finishing ahead of Sebastian Vettel in 13th and 14th. And there was actually a real danger at one point or a real, you know, a real worry, which is a point, not not in terms of like for Ferrari, it was, would have been a worry, but for us, it was, this is really interesting because you were in fact calculating all of the last times that Ferrari had performed so badly in qualifying because Sebastian Vettel was last in FP3 and Leclerc was only a few places in front of him. And yeah, there was a real, a real thought that that might come to pass in Q1. It didn't. They both ended up getting out just about as did to George Russell, incidentally, a fifth, uh, a fifth place in Q2 for, for Williams this season. But just again, another really bad day for Ferrari. I'd say it's even worse than a really bad. It's a disastrous day for Ferrari, really. Disastrous weekend, really. Um, they came here expecting to be on the back foot a bit. They know their engine's down on power. And I think they've never, I think that's probably then manifested itself in numerous problems that they need to take the downfalls off to not lose too much time on the straights because they'll leave them exposed in sectors one and three. You then take the downfalls off. You can't get the um, kind of grip and levels you need to get the heat and the temperature in the, the second sector. So you then um, tyres don't heat up when you're sliding, so that doesn't work. Then you put the downforce on and you're too slow in sectors one and three, and then the tyres still aren't in the right window in the middle sector. So I think they're just a bit lost. Um, I don't think they know why it's gone so wrong here because they don't even they probably weren't expecting it to be this bad as they arrived. And I think also then they've got themselves in a scenario where they're taking a bit more of a gamble. So the weather conditions tomorrow look mixed. Put extra downforce on because then it'd be much 
better position for the wet conditions, um, which I think they've done, um, which then obviously further hampers them in qualifying. So a lot of factors have come together, but a lot of head scratching at Maranello on Monday, I think. Absolutely. And a good thing they've only got the two minor races for them in Monza and Mugello coming up. Mugello being Ferrari's 1000th Formula One Grand Prix. Ridiculous celebration for them, but probably not a victory celebration. Although, you know, they have picked up a couple of podiums, Leclerc second in Austria. So you never know what can happen. Although I think that'd be be pretty much a stretch. Um, Staying with the sort of Ferrari story at the moment, there was an interesting comment from Toto Wolff, who's sort of alluding to certain decisions that had been made at Ferrari uh, in recent years that obviously now you know that sort of led ultimately to where they are and presumably he's talking about the decision to do whatever it was because it's never been officially confirmed with the power unit particularly uh, in the last couple of years and in 2019 so yeah not missing an opportunity there Toto Wolf to uh, to get a point in was he the legacy of that engine deal between the FI and Ferrari still upsets Mercedes especially Toto Wolf a bit um, and I think he's also a bit upset about you know the way Ferrari have publicly kind of dealt with it never really admitted or confirmed engine changes and um so I think he's there's just a bit of unease there I mean Toto didn't say didn't name any individuals he was pointing out didn't um explain the specific or didn't he explain the specific what aspects of Ferrari is upset about but I think it's fair to say there still remains some tension there between Toto and certain individuals at Ferrari and the rest we can only guess. Uh, but let's go back to the front of the grid and Max Verstappen. Now, John, you write a story for autosport.com and motorsport.com about that radio message that he came on just after passing the uh, checkered flag at the end of Q3. He was really quite, you know, vocally frustrated because he said, you know, I, I ran out of energy, as in battery energy from, you know, pushing the car forwards uh, on the run to the line. But he didn't ultimately feel that cost him second place, even though he was very, very close to Valtteri Bottas, did he? Yeah, I mean, when you're when you're talking about you know a hundred, think just over a hundredth of a second, um, you obviously think, um, oh, that was a difference in me losing this energy, and you go back to the all the aspects of the lap. But a, a lap time ultimately is the result of thousands of factors that come together, and that energy gets deployed in a manner by which gives him the best lap time. So. Sure, he could have. They could have changed energy configuration to have the energy at the end of the lap, but probably would have been slower because he'd have lost energy somewhere else on the lap. Um, so I think it's just a natural reaction. You feel frustrated because you know if you'd had that energy more, you could have got pole position. But then again, if it had a, you know, twice as big engine, he'd have been on pole position. So you can't. The, the ifs and buts don't really fit in scenarios like that. However frustrating they are, um, you've got your amount of energy to use. You deploy it in the best manner possible. Uh, it just so happened it played out like that certainly did it was also interesting to hear Verstappen know that he doesn't think that Red Bull will be able to challenge for pole position this time next week when of course that technical directive finally comes into force which means that the teams will be forced to just have one engine mode for qualifying and the race Uh, but yeah that was the last time Mercedes party mode was in full swing do you think it got the send off it deserved? I'm intrigued especially intrigued to know what happens next weekend because um, I think when the, the announcement first came, well, not the announcement, because it's all been done in secret letters and private letters to teams. Um, but when when that first came out, this, you know, the inference was that the, the party mode would be wiped away. The supposed half-second advantage that Mercedes has got will be gone. And then the races will be super, super close again, because there's not much difference between the engines. But as it's developed, um, you know, what's going to happen is that, sure, those party modes won't be there on Saturday. It will mean that... Um, 
the damage that gets done by using these party modes can then get transferred to extra power in the races. So we're just moving whatever extra power and energy Mercedes have from a Saturday to a Sunday. Uh, I've also heard some suggestions from people this weekend that um, they'd be surprised if the qualifying gap between Mercedes and Red Bull is any smaller in Monza as well. So I'm intrigued to know what's going to happen. Well, we're going to end with another team that's got reason to be happy today, which is Renault. Uh, team seemed a little bit sort of lost in Barcelona, I think it'd be fair to say. Went a few directions a little bit wrong with the setup and just generally didn't feel it was right in form when it came to sort of the higher downforce spec that that track requires. But like Silverstone... You take the downforce off, Renault doing a lot better. They're absolutely rapid in Sector 1 and Sector 3. And, you know, two cars in the top six, as we said at the start, Daniel Ricciardo, a brilliant fourth. So, yeah, how do you rate uh, How do you rate Renault's day, John? Great. I spoke to Daniel tonight, um, you know, absolutely chuffed. He said after they finished P2 yesterday, um, they said actually, the team actually felt a little bit flat because it had been too good that they kind of built their expectations up. And if I said if we'd qualified fifth or seventh, which would have been a step forward from Spain, it would have been a letdown. So to have come out there and delivered a row two start was fantastic. And he, yeah, he said that Renault car comes alive. You know, he's much happier in low downforce configuration. Um, it gets a balance there that's not there when it's in high downforce trim. Um, he feels confident in it, can push the straight line speed is there. So there's, there's obviously an inherent concept that's coming out of these Renault cars that works better in these low downforce trim but it bodes well for the team because we've got Spa this weekend is pretty low downforce we're going to Monza next which is you know minimum downforce we've got some quick tracks coming up Mugello you know it's a long straight we don't know yet you know which way that's going to go for teams but you've got Sochi with a long straight the Bahrain outer loop is going to be lower downforce and high speed so there's a lot of tracks coming up which could be good for Renault Indeed, they'll be certainly happy to keep an eye on everything in the title running or the championship running, as it were. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's just end, John, by by having a having a little think about the start again for tomorrow's race, because as we were sort of saying earlier, you know, it's, it, the lap one is is really fascinating here at Spa because of the way things things develop between the the front runners. But if it's dry tomorrow. The two Mercedes and Max Verstappen will be starting on the mediums, while those very slippery Renaults will be starting on the softs. So they'll have a grip advantage, particularly off the line. But nevertheless, that could come into into play. Or we could have rain, because the teams have said that there's about a 60% chance of significant, you know, wet weather tomorrow. Some talk about it being, you know, a few hours before the start, which might mean it's sort of hanging around on the track, or it could impact the actual race itself. So Either way, it'll be worth paying attention to the start of the race. Um, but yeah, what's your... Well, I'll tell you what. What are the cows telling you about what the start's going to be like tomorrow? Will it be Will it be wet or dry? We saw a few as we drove home. It's a bit dark out there to see the ones in the field, but there we go. Uh, yeah, I'll have to go and find the cows later for some, for some bit of advice or have breakfast with them tomorrow. But I think think the start tomorrow is going to be a... You know, there'll be two tails from it. Um, Valter has got to send it to Lewis tomorrow. He can't... for the For his championship, for his... Uh, you know, mental strength, his belief that he can do it. He needs to be first leading into Lecom tomorrow. So I don't think he can accept being second or giving Lewis an easy time. So I think, you know, that's his that's his mission. Um, there'll be everything to do it. And if it's, uh, you know, I think even if it comes to being a marginal move that he wouldn't normally do, I think, you know, you, you'd for where he wants to go this year and where he is in the championship, he's going to have to do it, um, which 
you know, it'd be interesting to see then how Lewis responds. Then behind him, I think Daniel's going to cause Max a bit of a headache as well because the Renault's super slippery, that soft tyre potential. And I think if Daniel can get ahead of the Red Bulls on the first lap and kind of hold on near the Mercs a little bit, then he could start causing some trouble because if he can use that straight line speed advantage to get past cars, then hold them off in sector two, you know, he could be a troublemaker, even if that runner ultimately doesn't have the, the pace of the Red Bulls and Mercedes. Absolutely. Well, just uh, just touching on the two Mercedes uh, potentially uh, coming together. Good thing the team doesn't have form of that happening, particularly into Lake Om, uh, where Nico, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton came together in 2014, uh, very famously. And obviously, I think that, that sparks quite an argument. After the race. But anyway, let's um, let's leave it there. John, thanks very much. Uh, we'll wrap things up. And thanks to everybody for listening along. Now, just before we go, we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine came out on Thursday and is available on supermarket shelves and in newsagents, as well as on the doormats of subscribers there will be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every thursday packed full of news analysis and the usual stunning photography and of course if you want unlimited access to autosport from the comfort of your home visit autosport.com plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package we'll be back soon with another episode of the autosport podcast Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I love the playoffs. Anything can happen. But the best part? It's like bonus football. And bonus football means betting bonuses with Gambit DC. For a limited time, you can get boosted deposits by 57% up to $1,000 on the Gambit DC app and up to a 57% multi-sport parlay boost at Gambit DC retail locations. It's the most exciting time to be a fan. So make your play and get the home field advantage with Gambit DC. Limited time offer, terms and conditions apply. Please buy responsibly. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.